We wanted to start by talking about the psyche breakdown that Jung, Carl Jung came up with. So we'll talk about a very simplified version of it. But you basically have a circle that is the self. And that's everything. There's nothing outside of that. So there's a circle that is the self. Obviously, we're not talking about your, yourself as we use the word in modern days, but the self, as in literally everything. And then within that, you have depths of consciousness. So the way he breaks it down is uh, you have consciousness, which is the top layer of that circle. And it's what we would describe as you, your own awareness of things, your, your awakeness, really, your sentience, uh, awareness. I know it gets a bit confusing because things are used differently by different models. A lot of terms can be used. Right? So he uses it as right just term. consciousness. How about awoken? Oh, awoken is good. Awoken is good. It's, it's awoken. <laughs> Street Fighter style. So you have the layer small layer of consciousness on top okay that is the layer that contains the ego the persona and the ego and then you have right beneath that you have a layer of personal unconscious so that's basically think of your the things about you that you are not aware of that you are not conscious of but it's still about you as an individual Stay with us, Louis. It's okay. It's okay. He'll stay with us. Stay with us, Louis. Stay with us. You're a good boy. Stay with us. Come here. Come here. Stay with us. Good boy. Good boy. Stay with us. Good boy. He's okay. You should trust him to stay with us. Good boy. You're a wet boy. <laughs> you have the layer of the personal unconscious. So you dive in a bit deeper, it's things about you that are hidden from your view. Things about you that are hidden from your own awareness, you're not really, like, all the processes that you're not really actively participating in, consciously participating in, they're in that layer of personal subconscious, personal unconscious, which we would regard as the Freudian subconscious in a way. So all those desires that Freud talks about that are like hidden beneath the surface, that's what Jung would call the personal unconscious. Is that different from the id? <clears throat> are we talking about the mammalian brain? I don't not, know. Not because necessarily the human, but... but yeah, but I don't know because that tiered brain, brain thing is... The, is brain? the tiered brain thing has become a bit controversial in modern day bi biology as in it's not it doesn't really apply like the reptilian brain the mammalian brain and so i don't really want to yeah, but it doesn't that. it doesn't apply for the right reasons but because the mammalian brain isn't something separate from the reptilian brain the reptilian brain and a mammal continue to evolve into what it is for a mammal it doesn't it's not something that's stacked on top of something else so the, the, the reptilian area of the brain of a mammal is also more complex than a reptilian version of the yeah. brainstem in a reptile. Sure. But it does still apply to, to suggest that primates have had, had a certain level of uh, cortex complexity that, that isn't necessarily as Corticals. complex. 
and as big as the homo sapien brain is or mm. brain of homo anything past erectus yeah. but i'm not sure how right before to... since they don't have the sentience that's beyond the that moment of adam that the awakening that you're talking about mm. does it not apply that they are just about before so that is in, in a way the primitive monkey brain whereas so they their circle of self stops right before ego and persona even but awareness of the filter sure i, I didn't really want to bring in hardware into the into an already difficult software conversation just trying to define what personal unconscious means you think of the personal unconscious as all of the processes is all of the processes that are that sit right below your level of awareness. So yeah, you are correct in, in saying that because there is a bit of individuality in it, but there isn't an awareness of that individuality, it puts you in a good primate. I could see primates being within that, fully within that, that level. You could also think of uh, babies very young babies being within that level of everything that they do is within the personal unconscious and dipping into the third and biggest deepest layer like deepest as in infinite layer of collective unconscious so that's the third layer that Jung describes and it's the one where everything melts into oneness. There isn't actually an idea of an individual. You are completely in the collective, in the whole, and you are one with the whole. There isn't a, an I anymore that exists beyond that. Everything that you, you identify with, everything that you speak of, everything that you experience <coughs> is within the first layer, possibly the second, and then lastly within the third. Most of us are always dwelling way on top of that hierarchy. So way at the egotistical level of the I as in the letter I, not the I that sees, although there is a it's, bit it's of a, a relation. A huge relationship. Yeah. But yeah, it's so this idea where, again, the whole is the self, so your ego is part of the self, everything is everything that you can imagine, really. Everything that you can imagine is within that circle. That's the basic assumption. It's, an, it's a valid assumption. It's not, this is a bit beyond being right or wrong. These are models for us to try to imagine those categories that encompass us. They, it allows us to imagine all of those holes that we belong, that we belong in. All are encompassed <laughs> within your psyche. That well, is all this. included within one big circle that is the self. That is the self. What you are, who you are. Yeah, and, and, and the assumption is that there is nothing outside of the self. The self is all there is. The mo modern way of looking at it, the modern as in highly individualistic model, is that there is me, then there is you, then there is the universe. That, but in this way of looking at the world, there is nothing outside of the self, and the self contains everything. Although it itself isn't a thing. So it's, again, going back to the circle, it's an empty circle. It's not a filled circle. The circle of the self is a container that isn't in itself a thing. 
you know. Um, what are you, how are you enveloped into a thing? How does that apply with you being enveloped into a thing? You I am a whole, like I as an individual, like if you go to like the idea of an ego, of an individual within the self. So you are enveloped. Yeah, definitely. As one self, one unit. As one self. individual. So what do you mean by there is no such thing? As an individual? I didn't say that. No, there is no such thing as one encircled self. The self is not, when Jung talks about the self, he's not talking about yourself. He's talking about the self as one thing. And all of us being an expression of that, being a part of that. That's why if you think of the collective unconscious, that's the third, the bottom, the biggest, deepest layer of the self. So if you think of that, it's all of our, again, collective ideas, imagination. It's collective that, ideas, is it the collective unconscious of humans or of life? Or? Of everything that yeah. exists, of everything. But is there not, no specific collective unconscious or is it that the, there are that's your personal. you draw? That's your, you have your personal unconscious? You have access to your, the, yeah. so the you collective can, from your ancestors, all your ancestors. So in theory, again, we all live in the upper level of this, this consciousness hierarchy, but in theory, yes, you have access all the way to the deepest depths of it. Now, the, indi the only individualistic element that you sense is the ego and the persona, because that's when you're actually down and collapsed into an entity that is observing, that is in and of itself something, like seeing sight from your perspective. I'm right. seeing this from my perspective, I'm interpreting vision, hearing, uh, smelling all into a story mm -hmm. that is mine and that belongs in ego, in personal unconscious ego and it plays into developing a persona. That is the that, only that, thing, that if you, that. if out of that there is no you, not even theoretically, there is no you that is a self. Out of that, what, it, what exists is a collective. Right. As a unified as so, a union. So, so you could think of it as the ego, so the persona and the ego being these rigid structures that, like a cell, think of the cell walls within that. You have this envelope that exists. With right? an ego? Or, okay. Yeah, so when you're at the layer of consciousness, part of what you're doing is you're setting those boundaries of this is I. There is a, there, there are a system of processes that encompass all of who I am, that encompass what I think of when I say, I woke up this morning and I was feeling a bit off. I know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about, we're not exactly referring to the same thing, but close enough that we can understand each other. I like the word that you use, observe, because it's a great way of looking at it, is that the entity at the top of that hierarchy of consciousness, your ego, is an observer and I'm referring to it as an observer. Now... Just to make sure, I think I get it now. The idea of starting with the union circle of self and psyche without necessarily it being. If the circle without persona and ego, once, as soon as you, you curse yourself into the observation, into ego, you, you're the one that draws the, the line and exactly. therefore you become an individual entity. Without those lines that you draw, without those 
then the boundaries are, are gone and, and you exist in a collective un unconscious right. through an expression of self that is purely in a purely theoretical fashion if you will that is purely an expression of self without ego without persona without the eye mm. and it, it takes a literal manifestation in this world of without I, without your eye, you need to close your eyes, you need to shut down all your senses. Your eyes and vision mm. is the biggest variable that e that Satan uses, utilizes to, to interpret, to curse you into this collapse, this descent into hell. And you talk about that physiologically, most of your energy of senses interpretation is coming from vision. Mm. Vision takes up, it's the most trustworthy source of interpretation. It always overrides everything. It overrides everything. That bhava. And it's a, and it's a, and yeah, and energetically speaking, it's definitely the biggest consumer mm. of, like, I think about 20% of your brain's, I don't know if it's your energy intake or if it's the, actual 20% of volume of your brain that is dedicated yeah. to vision. I've heard uh, that, vision. that, that yeah. number before. I'm not sure yeah. where and how, but it's, it's something. Um, but it's complicated because it's not, like again, going back to the idea that you're not just processing visual information. Stay with us, Louis. You're not just processing information like you're just watching something, you're also projecting. So what your visual cortex is doing is, is quite a lot more than, it, than seeing, it's observing. So it's seeing, it's interpreting, it's projecting, right? It's very, and then it's like constantly looking for changes, it's constantly filtering out data that's irrelevant filling it's in patching, filling in patching right? and how much of that expectations is open question yeah perhaps yeah we so we, it's had, we had discussed the variable what is how much of your story is coming through your own perception and how much of it is coming from outside factors outside factors whatever that may mean in the, in the drawing yeah. of, the, of circles of the boundaries. ego yeah but going back to the idea of so we're drawing boundaries and so this is the I that I am that I believe myself to be and then the deeper you go within that uh, circle the you're talking about a depth of ego or within no the, well outside no within the different levels of consciousness so the less i-ness you have yeah so, so the deeper you go into the unconscious the more the boundaries dissolve so if you're in the personal unconscious you have a lot less of those boundaries so you think of like dreams Dreams are a great way, and dreams are something that Jung actually heavily focused on for as far as his own journey into the depths of his psyche and also in his psychotherapy um, to help people. So he would just let people tell him about his dreams for hours. He said, tell me about your dreams. What did you dream about? And not really, again, always gearing the interpretation, not as in, oh, okay, this is what this symbol means universally, although there is some truth to that, we could talk about that, but it's, it's always very personal. It's always about how, what something, what something awakened in you, what something triggered in you, what it, what it reminded you of. There was this thing that Jordan Peterson did that in his psychotherapy as well, and he was inspired from Jung, because he's a Jungian psychoanalyst, really. And just say a word that's associated with that. Just say a word. Like you just don't think about it too much. 
because you're trying to, again, the thought is at the level of the conscious level. But then it's just start blurting things out. Once you start becoming more spontaneous, you're less up there in consciousness and more in the unconscious. Now the unconscious, again, these are not barriers. We're talking about these hierarchies and these levels and all that. Obviously, they're not hard barriers. Although, again, if you're within your ego fully, these are hard barriers to, to cross. But you go into the personal unconscious like you're dreaming, and it's like from there on, you can deep dive into the collective unconscious. You're always so somewhere in between. But there is a sense, even in, in the Jungian way of, of the interpretation of psyche, there is an element of that's no barriers is your natural state. I don't know what that means. What's well, a natural state? It's the state that an entity, life, in, a, in any cluster, is what it starts in. Humans are special in the sense that they're the ones that, yeah, just like all other life, start at this cluster that is in complete unison, that, that has no boundaries, and then ego manifests and, and collapses you into your own boundary, into your own barrier, a way that it... But that I don't like the... I don't like the assumption here that's not natural because ego is a natural phenomenon it is it's a natural phenomenon and it's a natural progression of yeah but it's things. not your basis it's not what you start with it's not yeah your, but that your, doesn't your make starting it not points. natural it doesn't at all nobody's suggesting that this is synthetic that happens no but right? you're it comparing it to a natural state which i don't know i feel like it's not a natural state it's an original state you are born Without. I'll take it. Original state. Just like all life, you are born without ego. What makes human special is, mm -hmm. the, is, the, is the moment, is that moment of Adam that manifests within each individual, where you start these inner whispers, four, three, seven years old, it manifests and then it grows and, and further crystallizes and further collapses and further adds, it builds a thicker barrier. Mm -hmm. And, and the longer you stay in it, the thicker the barrier. The, those boundaries, so the more I, like, I could reaffirm them throughout my life, and I harden them. That's the whole thing, is that this is a very malleable system. You are a very malleable system, and we know it by just even hardware-wise, how malleable and adaptive our components are, how malleable and adaptive we are as a species, as an individual within a species. So it's all based on your habits, where you dwell. If you're always at the level of ego, where you're always at the level of the observer who is interpreting the world around them and always uh, creating a narrative to make sense of the world and staying within the conscious level, then those barriers over time harden to the point that they are almost inescapable. And that's where you find most of us being not only stuck in that layer, but never even capable of realizing that there is anything beyond that because the walls are so thick. It's the child who grows up, I don't know, a prisoner in a dungeon. I don't, what do you mean outside of that? There is no outside of that. If you've never really experience anything outside of consciousness then it's not real it's not real to you it's not a level or a layer there are no levels or layers that are accessible to you 
So therefore, they don't exist. And even going back to the idea of dreams being a perfect gateway to the unconscious, a lot of people don't dream. Right? And quote unquote, don't dream, but I don't know at what least, that means. What does that mean? A lot well, of people don't dream. I just but feel they like they not remember their dreams. I don't know. They I don't feel job remembering, or they just don't. There's I feel no like activity. there are a few things. He's here. He's right below us. I feel like there are a few things like. There are the people who don't remember dreaming, but I do think that there are people who are not even living and sleeping well enough to be able to dream anymore. Very shallow sleep, very unrestful sleep, very turbulent sleep, based on a very stressful life, very turbulent life, maybe a life of over-consumerism. So dreams are, correctly, are directly correlated with quality of sleep? So well, the more quality I, I, sleep qu you have. quality of life in general. And the quality of sleep is related to your quality of life. Like, I feel like, for instance, when I'm stuck in loops of, of being too much in my head, being too stressed, then I introduce more distraction into my life to escape that loop that I don't want to, I don't want to confront. I just, like, I find myself scrolling more, watching more YouTube shorts or reading more articles or always just trying to distract myself. So you get st stuck in a loop of being a consumer and you don't give yourself any rest time where you're not actively either distracting yourself or consuming something, which is the same thing. But I feel like I dream a lot less and the dreams are less good. Even if I dream, there are a lot shallower dreams, so they're dreams that are way too related to what just happened on that day, to something I watched, to something that... They're very related to my direct reality versus deeper dreams that I'm able to reach when I'm in a better state. When I'm less up here all the time, I'm just able to rest. My sleep is more restorative and it's correlated with deeper dreams. So I don't, it's not causal, I don't wanna, I don't know, right? But I just know that when I'm, I sink deeper into my sleep, I have a lot deeper dreams. And that's hard to define what a deeper dream is, but you do it comparatively to shallower dreams and you build that hierarchy for yourself. What's a deeper dream versus a shallower dream? Dreams are, we can think of dreams as Activities that exist in going back to young circles in the unconscious, whether it's personal or collective or a dance in and out of either of the two, but it exists there in the unconscious side of things. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like dreams aren't necessarily exclusive to sleep per se. It's exclusive to what is happening during sleep. You're shutting off. You're shutting off your senses. You're giving ego no chance sure. and ego in most people is not just overactive but it's pretty much constant it is no longer a light flickering like it were in our ancestor uh, adam always awake or our ancestors it's always it's awake, always awake in, in today's world and everybody so the vast majority of people so it's not that dreaming is exclusive to a state of sleep it's just that the activity of the unconscious happens and the recording of and the, un and, and, the, and the experience of it the experience of it has to happen without ego 
mm-hmm. and this is the theory of the spiritual trips that you know and all the different philosophies uh, you know through meditation you get to hallucinations through you talk about the shaman ayahuasca or a psychedelic trip that pinpoints ego and it hampers it it, it well, stalls it it, 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 it it dissolves those boundaries it dissolves those boundaries and it's maybe the ayahuasca side of things is a cheat code perhaps but it does what sleeping does as well it mimics sleeping in the sense that it, it knocks out ego in one way or another ego has no chance to be because it has no senses it has no cannot reach out to us to, to senses that it needs to interpret the world and further collapse you into this hellish suffering of, ex- of an experience so you're just you're basically hallucinating but a dream is, a, is an activity in the unconscious that somehow you have grasp of even when you wake up with as soon as you wake up you suck you lose most of it and most people can't reach out to grab it at all mm-hmm. and they say as soon as you wake up if you have a dream you remember it write it down because chances are even if you get up to wash up you're like, oh, I got it. I still no, got it. Wash it's up, not even about getting up. The second you start, like you're still in bed. You're the second you start thinking moment. about something else, if you wake up thought and you're like, oh, I have to do anything as soon that's... As the boundaries or the filters of ego come up, it's very hard to reach, done. To, to go back and reach. You're so, done. Like, so you have a, a time frame before ego, you you wake up and, and you, if you want to think about it as a, as a boundary or as filters that you put, that ego sets, puts together and that combination of those filters is your own persona. <coughs> and the removal of those filters through an inactive ego gets you back in tune with the self. Mm. When you wake up, the filters are, are starting to be here. Every day you start by putting, when you start mm. off, somehow these are not structured the way that way ego's used to structuring them, perhaps. but. It's about, it could be not exclusive, going back to what, what dreams are. It doesn't have to be exclusive to sleep. It's exclusive to a tamed, to a, to a controlled, quieted ego. That Diminished simply, ego. naturally, most commonly happens during sleep. Right. That most easily happens during sleep, during good sleep. So going back to this idea of the ego, the boundary, and most of us being stuck in that world, not even grasping that there could be anything else. I think a lot of our misery, and I think a lot of our misery, it's been repeatedly said over the millennia that our misery that suffering in general stems from dwelling within that bound within those boundaries that all suffering comes from dwelling in the ego and the thing that it's like those boundaries are something that need that always need to be upheld so that you as an egotistical individual as an individual are always trying to reaffirm those boundaries because if you don't they collapse so you're always trying to reinforce them, or at least maybe there's an entity within you, if you will, that's always trying to reinforce those barriers. And the goal is 
too very buddhistical let it go there's this idea that the ego like its job is to hold on to things to always grab things to always anchor things in solid matter to always materialize things and reinforce the boundaries and part of it is just let it go just stop I mean, I know it's just it's one, of, one of those things that are just way too easy to say. And it's one of those things that really takes decades to sink in for us to understand what it really means to let go. And you can't really understand it before you actually let go. That's a, a very important piece of it that you bring up. Because we, we need to recognize the fact that if we spend, if we have spent, even though we didn't start with ego. If we have had decades where all we know is our experience within this boundary, it's very hard to believe that there is something without, that there's something outside of. When you have been constantly living in an experience that is within this boundary, this is where the necessity for a leap of faith comes into play. You, it's hard to believe that there is something perhaps better outside of this mm. constant distraction that ego may or may not be. And most of us cannot even fathom, cannot even imagine. And it makes sense. It makes sense not to, because it's irrational. Again, what is, we're talking about rationality. And what we're talking about is easy, it's easy to say, oh, my thinking is bad or my interpret. No, it's absolutely good for you. It's necessary. When we talk about sentience, when we talk about ego, we're talking about an, a variable that is necessary, not just for humans, but for life. To be able to collect data from your surroundings and process that information and make a move to, to react, to stimuli in the environment, is the difference between being prey or predator or finding sustenance in one way or another mm. dancing for a mate these are all necessary to propagate your seed to continue to survive the question here comes from whether or not you want this boundary to be an entity you constantly live within and that's the problem the problem isn't ego the problem is ego in control mm. you not being in control of ego and every once in a while Taking a step away from this boundary and realizing what is without this boundary. True self and connection and union from a practical union or union on the spiritual side. What the Buddha describes, what Abrahamic philosophies describe of this heavenly state, a state of enlightenment or nirvana or Buddhist is a translation from an awakening, a true awakening away from this fake veiled awakening quote-unquote mm. and you need a leap of faith it is a spiritual journey almost because you don't you know nothing but this boundary chances are in 2023 you know nothing beyond this boundary you need to take a leap of faith it is irrational to let go when you talk about letting go but there is perhaps something better on the other side and it takes a lot of work i'd like to say that for both throughout your life but also throughout the process of, as a society, of enriching ourselves and modernizing, we are 
always leaning towards more individualism. The richer societies get, the more individualistic they become. So there's a trend towards ego taking over. And of course, it's probably just like all things in the world, it becomes cyclical. There are cycles of construction and de destruction, like with everything else. But it seems so the more you go throughout your own life, up to a certain point, and the more you go as a society, it seems like we become more and more individualistic. So it's definitely, we're not just saying that there are certainly bigger forces at, at play Something here. along the lines of a rich man entering an eye of the needle. Yeah, something or, or like that. Or a camel entering the eye of the needle, needle and for yeah. a rich man to enter heaven. Something like kingdom. that. And something, again, going back to Jesus Christ saying that you must become a child in order to get into heaven. And it's it so goes back similar. to the origin. Becoming a child, you get these these same allusions in Islam as well. Heaven is filled with children, which is with children, arguably like, an interpretation. Because it's this idea of dwelling within the spontaneous. You're not filtering, you're not thinking, you're not trying, you are just being. And that's a whole difference. And we all we've all experienced that. We haven't all sat down for 20 hours of intense meditation, certainly. But we've all experienced being in a state where we're not thinking, we're not trying to figure out what to do, how to do, planning, projecting onto the past, re rehashing, the, no, projecting onto the future, rehashing the past, blah, blah, blah. Like when you're just doing something and you're fully doing something. It's, it's two o'clock, how did it, where did the time go? Where you weren't really counting and measuring and observing, but you were fully immersed in one thing. That's very close to this experience of spontaneous action, of being without thinking about being. So I think that's something we can all relate to, and the luckiest one of us more than others, people who have this passion that they spend hours and hours in. So yeah, there's definitely ways to reach it outside of the meditative route, but we just don't do enough of that. And as the world becomes more and more complex, the distractions become less and less avoidable, really. They become more and more part of no, baby. Hey, part of your life. I do and it's a good place to bring in the issue of dopamine that is so closely associated with the inner workings of our ego. Because dopamine, if we go back to the idea of originally, dopamine is this hormone neurotransmitter that pushes you to pursue a need that you have, a survival need, so that you need food. It's like here. Go get the food. I'm promising you ample rewards. If you get from here to here, it's just going to be heaven for you. And then you go and grab the food. Or same with sex, right? So in an ancestor, pre-ego, a monkey is hungry. He mm. sees a mango up on a tree. It, as soon as he stares it, he, he pinpoints it, he gets a shot of dopamine. He gets a shot of dopamine. And then that increases as he gets as he starts climbing the tree, he gets closer, mm -hmm. he looks up, the mango It actually makes him climb the, the tree, the it goal. makes him assess the risk differently. Yeah. Now I'm like, it feeds him. It I'm willing him. to die for this. It fuels him, it I'm drives him. to die for this. Drives. This is worth my everything. This Until he meets it, 
What happened? Oof, dopamine is gone. gone. It takes its first bite. It did its thing. Dopamine did its thing. The first bite is the, is the peak. It's all downhill from there. It's all downhill from it's there. Instantaneous. Mm-hmm. And then it's like it drops like this. You met your need. There's no That's need. That's why it's not it's not quite a hormone as much as it's a neurotransmitter because you have to think of it as this almost like electrical impulse rather than a hormone like a chemical that gets goes lower and dissolves into you know, it's this shot this pulse that you get it's instant it drips an increase it could just come but what we talked about is it a drip it could come if you're a 13 year old boy and then all of a sudden the, the best most beautiful crush victoria's secret model just shows up naked in front of you as you're walking down the alley you're not. This is this I is not a dopamine. This is not dopamine that would come dripping slowly. No, it's gonna overwhelm you. No, but it really doesn't, because you have to think of again that you lock eyes with that mango. Mango as in the Victoria's Secret supermodel <laughs> that you label as a mango. You you lock eyes with it, and it's like now my entire world is has one purpose: is to get that mango. Everything is channeled through that. It is there is a bit of an instantaneous thing to it. It's not gonna necessarily go. It sustains itself until I get it, more or less, right? Mm. But it is an instant. Like it's not like it's slowly increasing. No, I see the mango. I get it. I get a you high. Get a rush. You get a high very quickly. You get a high, and, and then, then it, it sustains itself until you get you really get it. Come on, we can get it. You could get it. I'm just going to re- like it's going to be the best thing you'll ever eat. I promise you. It's going to be so amazing. Blah 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 blah, right? It keeps promising the entire world. And promising eternal fulfillment if you would, if you wish. Until that first bite and it's like, "All right, I'm out of here." So, when I'm think good. about it. It is if we're talking about food. Let's talk about one of the gates of dopamine. Because if it's driving you, it's driving you to a necessity. And necessity we, comes this, from... This goes back to originally. That's why I use the word but, originally. But because they all... Anything that we bring up, that we increase in complexity, increases in complexity from a simple frame of reference. If we bring up ego in a human being that is driving you and tempting you to eat a donut, it comes from a simpler line of gluttony. From need. Of, that comes, that before it turns to gluttony, to too much, you have a fair it's share a that is rooted in a need and in the sustenance of food. Same thing with lust. When we talk about Satan tempting you into a, a lustful interaction that is outside of your fair share, rooted back, this is this comes from a driving you to a need to mate, to, mm. to propagate your seed, to continue to survive in one form or another. Mm. Same thing with sloth. There is a level of comfort, a shelter that you must seek that is a fair share mm. before you get to a point where a human being is binge-watching Netflix until 4 in the morning. There isn't any gate of hell, any of the seven deadly sins are necessary. Even when in wrath, a, a lioness, cubs are in danger, that, or a buffalo, the little calf is in danger from a lioness. A buffalo can't handle, a, a buffalo mom can't handle, a buffalo soldier mom cannot handle a lioness without that wrath, mm. that, that spikes from this from this moment of danger towards her cub, calf, child, and there is a, a anything that you 
pinpoint of Satan tempting through dopamine, uh, with the, Satan holding the syringe that is dopamine in one category or another of gluttony, sloth, lust. You get to a simple point, and in that simple point, it does perhaps start as a drip, going back to the monkey and the mango. There is a, an element where before you see the mango, when you see the mango, when the monkey sees the mango, you have this spike, this exponential spike. But before, you need to be driven to look for the mango. And that can come in a, a growl, pang, a pang yeah. of hunger, a growl of the stomach. Mm. Uh, I'm hungry. You get a little drip of dopamine. Okay, let me start looking for food. The hunger you get, the, the drip there. And then you see the, the, the mango, mm-hmm. you get the spike. And then you pursue. And in that pursuit, it continues to drip from that spike, still increasing, continues to drip until you get another spike when you grab onto it and finally bite it, and then it subsides. So it's, you, it's, it, there's a slow release until there is a milestone of discovery mm. where you're close. It's within reach, within a distance, a certain way. You can get it. You have belief. And then it spikes, continues to drip, to keep you motivated on this journey to get closer and closer and then as soon as you get it it spikes again until the first bite and it drops originally it does start with a need with the need with the necessity of fulfilling a need a need that is basic to your survival a need that is fundamental to your survival needs are then expanded you expand from there and you start talking about desires after you've reached a certain level of comfort now that my needs are met you have the same rush of dopamine that is almost expanded it's almost corrupted into including desires things outside of need mm-hmm. that are like your needs are fulfilled but th- this idea of desire is still there this idea of craving is still there. I could be fully satiated, literally just finished having a copious dinner. I just want something sweet. So that's not a need. Certainly not a, a calorific, nutritional need of any in any sense of the word. But I'm still craving it, right? So you start seeing these systems apply outside of what they were originally intended to do naturally speaking that always happens so intent was to keep you alive it did that now i'm still using those reward mechanisms to get what i want not what i need to get what i desire and you see how quickly this devolves into a craving cycle it feeds itself i i need it i need to get, i need to get that high i need to get that sugar high and it's you almost can't escape it as you gain in comfort as you uh, get out of the precarious situation of, oh my God, I need to stay alive. Okay, that's mostly in, t- in modern times, we've, we're beyond that. We're beyond the day-to-day needing to stay alive. We're, okay, we have our first Mas- Maslow's Pyramid. Okay, we're good to go. Now what do we, now what? Okay, now we look for fulfillment in other things. And then we start feeding those desires more and more yeah and you brought up a good word of comfort and one of the tricks that evil satan 
has on Adam is to tempt you through comfort. What you, it's very easy to believe that he has what's best for you in mind, if you will. Because when you get this urge to go for the donut, to go for something sweet, when you have that urge to go for something sweet, it's very easy to suggest that, oh, this is, this is the best thing I can have right now. This donut is the best thing I can have for right now. And this is why temptation is so great, because whether it's through lust or sloth, or you think that this ego has what's best for me, but no, usually this distraction of something that is highly tempting, highly attractive, because it's very comfortable in one way or another, in the moment comfortable, it's it. pleasurable. It's, it's, it's pleasure. It's not it's, comfortable. This is, this is it's the idea pleasurable. Of it's pleasurable through it's mm. all the comforts and the goodness that comes from it. It's not necessarily... In all its too muchness. Comfort is a huge umbrella. It could follow in the steps of not necessarily what you're used to applying it to the sloth gate oh, sitting in my lazy boy why no but maybe like comfort right. food comfort what we talk about is, is another comfort way to food. explain it's like the worst type of food it's because probably it not great for you yeah and, there's and something to it this is how it drives you you might you think it's a distraction from something good and the goodness is usually better for you long term it's not better for you in the moment you cannot imagine yeah. that the but argument no donut of is reaching better. for the broccoli versus reaching for a donut or a pizza. Long term, perhaps, the donut isn't as good for me. But in the moment... Certainly better. In the moment... No, ja no donut. Doubt. I would go for a donut. And the, in a grasshopper versus ant way, the grasshopper is always... Oh, no. I want to be... I want to enjoy life now. I want to enjoy life now. Mm. As opposed to... Saving up. Investing it up in a future, future self, in the future self that you need boundaries, you need to oppress yourself freely. You come up with your own oppressive measures. In, in, in a world that is free, you need, it doesn't mean that freedom of expression is absolutely crucial for society, mm. but that doesn't mean that you are free or should be free without setting your own rules to battle ego. Because if you maintain no boundaries at all, no structure, a lack of structure, is a place where you're not going to drive. You're a prey. And you're a prey. when you're a prey, ego's going to do what it does. Because, like a virus, you. the way it's relevant is to continue to collapse you in this material matter world. So it's going to tease you. It's going to tempt you. It's going to hook you. It's going to tempt you with everything that seemingly is so great for you. And you can escape one thing and maybe another, but eventually you're going to cave in. Mm. You know what? When I... The donut thing, it works, I swear. I'll get into work and my nemesis, somebody had got donuts. Probably Fred, who I call Satan at, or at work because he brings in donuts. That's a little time. harsh. <laughs> you like, call Satan. You call so, Fred Satan because, because he brings, he brings donuts. donuts. Yeah, he's trying to You're so kill cool. Me. So I'll be like, okay, I'm not going to have a donut. Or I'll make a thing and be like, okay, by one o'clock, if I haven't eaten anything, by one o'clock, I'll have a donut mm. or something like that. So anyway, I'll try to push. I'll try to push it as much as I can. Almost knowing that it's inevitable most times that I'm going to cave in eventually. Now, what ends up happening is that 
if I say I'm not gonna have a donut, I'll push and try to keep, I'll pass by and then go back and pass by and try to ignore it. And I'll be like, oh, I wonder if my favorite donut is there. Just wondering, I'm not really gonna go for it. I just like, oh, the custard donut is here. Okay, <laughs> if it's still there by one o'clock, I'll have that. I'm gonna have only my favorite or nothing. So I'm putting conditions, I'm starting to play with the devil conditionally, if this then that, and you put in those sorts of boundaries. You're making a deal with the devil. I'm making a deal with the devil. One o'clock comes around, I open the thing. By the way, one o'clock comes around, I'm checking every five and a half seconds. Is it one, By one yet? o'clock, Is 12 it one o'clock? comes around. Is it one o'clock? And I never give it a minute after, I'm on the dot, one o'clock, I'm done. I go check and I don't find my donut and I'm devastated. And now it's like I did all that weight, all that for nothing. So there was this dopamine going up and now it's nothing. Then I end up having two donuts that I'm not that into. But it's so hard to actually close that gate once it's open. Mm-hmm. And this is the idea of, in general, like sin as known mythologically to us. You, so you brought up a bunch of those traditional sins, the biblical deadly sins. And it's the idea that there is a binariness to it. The idea that these things like food is not a sin but gluttony is a sin now where you draw the line is very important because it's an arbitrary line Hmm. in a way that only you can draw for yourself you define your fair share you define your fair share but there is a binariness to it that every sin by definition i think what actually defines a sin is the slippery slopeness of it is that once you open it, there is no closing that pendulum. There is a... It's right there. No barking, buddy. No barking. Behave the way you're on camera. You're a good boy. You're a good boy. Good boy. Come this way. Come this way. Louis, come this way. Come this way, buddy. Good boy. Come this way. Good boy. Distraction is always the best way, I think. Distraction is always the best way? Yeah, and I feel like sometimes we jump to... We equate things that are not quite equal. So we have to be careful with that. We throw around things like concepts like Satan mythologically or ego or even dopamine almost as if they're the same thing. But it's not quite like that. There is an overlap between these things, but they're not really the same thing. It's just that your demise, our demise, is when we let these processes rule instead of letting deeper values and principles rule. We let It's a top-down approach where the top is always trying to control everything else. Mm. And that's where your demise is. That's our mistake. Our mistake is to, to let that dopamine rule us, is to, to try to, strike, a devil, try to st- strike that deal with the devil of, oh, if this, then that. It's, no, there's a binariness to it. I'm just not going to eat that donut. The second so, I'm beyond that, I've already lost. The second I But is there never a time? So this is a very important moment as far as which addictions need to be binary, which I don't make a deal with the devil at all. It's just a closed, it's, it's a closed element. I'm never going to entertain 
There isn't going to be a moment where I make some deal with the devil that allows me to inject myself with heroin. That's it. This is a guilty pleasure that is, is beyond, it must have a boundary. The, the addiction coming from opioids perhaps needs to be binary. But maybe sugar, not so much. Maybe sugar isn't an addiction, or caffeine for that matter, or marijuana. Again, you define what your fair share it's is. It's an addiction. Right? Or, yeah, it is an addiction. But are there is addictions? It ruining your life? Are there addictions that must have a binary stop, or is there a time where you want to entertain, where you actually want to make a deal with the devil? I want to propose a specific example that is a little easier. Going back to the donuts to maintain consistency, maybe to wait until one o'clock to have a donut isn't that strict. Perhaps you might think again, different people define their fair shares differently. Maybe if I'm really active and I'm trying to maintain a certain level of health even from a look standpoint from the most materialistic element of health is to look good I'd say I make a deal with the devil and say that I can have a donut if I complete 500 push-ups in the next few hours I can do I can I can do 30 push-ups here 40 there 20 here 10 there I continue, or 200 push-ups, whatever mm. it may be. If I do 500 push-ups, whatever... What, what is your sacrifice? I will have a donut. What is your sacrifice? Is this a worthy deal with the devil? Where you maybe even do it to a point where... Okay, donut is 600 calories. I'm going to make sure I burn at least 700. Yeah. And then I can have this donut. Is it okay for some guilty pleasures to have... To allow for a deal with the devil. It's certainly okay to have to experience pleasure. I don't think that we should demonize pleasure as a whole. That's why we don't want to equate Satan to ego to pleasure to dopamine because it's not. There is a give the devil his due. There is a fair share of pleasure. Like you don't want to live. Uh, completely. Um, what do they call like aesthetic? No. Um, What's the word? Like a life with no pleasure. Um, ascetic life. You want to, to allow for pleasure to exist within your life. Even the Buddha, like when he first rebelled against, you know, his stru structures, against the, the wealth and the kingdom and all of that. And, like he chose a very ascetic life and just stopped eating and stopped and then found the middle way. Right? Where it's no, that he didn't find the answer there in depriving himself of all things. That wasn't his awakening came with the balance, with finding that. With the definition of what his fair share is. With, and with it's probably sort of not balance. somewhere in the middle. It's closer to. But it's a balance. It doesn't have to be a middle of, of what? Like, it's just a balance. The middle of where he was before he rebelled against the wealth oh, and the kingdom. Okay. Yeah, sure. His fair, his fair share is probably a. For the Buddha, is a lot closer to the ascetic lifestyle than it is to the wealth. Yeah, like you see the the fat laughing Buddha. Like that's not ascetic in in its philosophy. Clearly, he's enjoying himself. That guy. He's eating. He's laughing. He's having a great time. But you want to have a pleasurable life. You just don't want pleasure to spoil you. That's the problem. Is that there is a spoiling. To control you, to spoil you. It's okay. It's okay to have the donut from time to time, but it's not okay for that to rule your life, 
for that motivation to rule your life. For sugar. And it's not okay for it to make you diabetic. For instance, you take it to the extreme and you're so hooked on it that you just can't stop eating it until your body just cannot absorb it anymore. It's not okay for it to dictate everything. If you remember this, Michael Pollan, when he was talking about caffeine, and he had quit for three months as an experiment to battle his addiction. And so then he had his first cup of coffee on that one Saturday. And it was amazing. He went to his coffee shop and he had that coffee. And then he started putting this plan together because he wanted to garden and do a thing, landscaping and all that. And he drove there and he got there and he realized that the only reason he did this whole plan of gardening is to grab a second cup of coffee from that other coffee shop right across the street from that place mm. that he really loved. Mm. And you see how it drives you and it, can, it puts a narrative that has nothing to do with, oh, I want coffee. It's very sophisticated. You're completely fooled. You're it's, a fool. it's highly sophisticated. And we always think that, oh, we're ahead of the game somehow. I, of, mm. I would know if someone was trying to manipulate me, especially if it's me, <laughs> especially if it's an internal process. But we're all fooled by that. Mm. Our motives are not really transparent to ourselves. And a lot of times where we fall is when we think that we're is thinking that we know ourselves more than we actually do. And entering the idea of what you mentioned of fair share, if you talk, you mentioned there's a point where it's food, where it's good for you before it becomes glam. And there's a line that's perhaps a bit arbitrary that isn't, there isn't an objective line perhaps. It's not necessarily there, there arbitrary, isn't. but it fits within a gray area of what's acceptable. Mm -hmm. And for some people, that may mean zero sugar. For some people, they can have a donut a week. It's, it's, it doesn't really necessarily work in a... Yeah, before it's, before it's a sin, or before it's pleasure, or before it's, 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 before it's ego, it's okay, it's not sinful. It's mm -hmm. always sin. It's just that you should take your fair share of pleasure. You define what fair share is, but it's always, it's, if you eat once a day and it's a small meal a day, enjoy it, take pleasure in that. You, you deserve that meal. Obviously, all other circumstances and parameters have to validate that moment of pleasure, but if that's how you define your fair share, and you've earned it, and you've stayed all day without food, mm -hmm. and you had that meal, it's going to be a highly, if you're going to be super hungry, if mm -hmm. you have been fasting intermittently for 20 hours in every day, and you're eating once a day, that moment is going to be a moment of pleasure that you shouldn't try to suppress. Mm -hmm. And that is your fair share. Take pleasure in that. It is a sin, but you, it is your fair share of sin. Mm -hmm. And going back to the concept of the, you have your fair share, and if you take your fair share of sin and nothing more, in the oversimplified Abrahamic world, you reach the kingdom of heaven. You reach heaven, even with some sin. Because some sin isn't going to draw the barriers so. Some sin is not going to. It's not going to complete. It, it's going to give you a chance. It's only a. 
and it's enough to give you a chance to get back to yourself. It's not gonna overtake your you, you yeah your structures overtake you as a as a. It's not going to overtake you, and the less you take, once you define your fair share, the more you take away, the better off you are. Mm. This is the idea of celibacy that is practiced by mm. some Christians or on the Eastern philosophy, the, the, the Catholic specifically, or on the Eastern philosophy of the monks monk. taking an oath of silence. Mm. Yeah, speech isn't necessarily all bad. You can, there is a level of fair share of how much you speak. Yeah, you should, you should be closer to silence. Mm. The closer you are to silence, the better. Once you oh, define your the, fair share, shut the hell share, up a bit more. Once you define your fair share of how much you should speak, yeah. make sure you don't go above that. But going be below that is acceptable and recommended. In a lot of the prophets that go through fast to go through fasting, it's, we talk about a fast of do a dopamine fast, whether it's the Sabbath, cold coffee. Yeah, please. Whether it's the Sabbath or the Islamic fasting, you're shutting off a certain level. You're Shut your restricting holes. yourself. You're oppressing yourself in one way or, or one comfort holes. or another, in one gate or another. And the I lost it a little bit. That's okay. There are a couple of things that I wanted to touch on that you brought up. It is okay to indulge because you can equate that to sin. You're indulging in something, and it's okay to indulge, right? But there are a couple of things that you need to do to make sure that when you indulge, it does not overtake your life. And one thing is what you mentioned with the example of the calories and you're paying for it. One thing is to pay for your sin as you go, right? Don't accumulate that, that payment. Think of it as a give and take. If you take, so if you indulge, then you need to pay. You have to sacrifice something. Always try to rebalance it. Every time you take too much, you have to give up something in a way. So make sure you pay as you go so as not to accumulate interest on your sins. And there is also the place where we fall is if I fall off the wagon one time, I'm like, screw it. I already had a donut. I wasn't supposed to. Now I'm just going to have another one. It's the, that's it. I'm off. I'm off that path that I was on. Now who cares? I'm already in the. I'm already in hell. I've already broken my rule. So what's I might as well go nuts before I repent again and, and, and try. If to ever, live because it's a like pious life again. And, and that a lot, like that first. That's why when you fall off the first time, it's just so easy to just. There's this never miss twice. If you're trying to implement a habit or a routine into your life, never miss twice. Because if you miss once and you get back to it, okay, I. Understand that you're human, you, ha you are flawed, and you are wired to pursue pleasure, and you are going to go for it, no matter how hard you try, no matter what structures and boundaries you set, you are going to fall off the this wagon. This falls back into the, uh, the, the concept on the Abrahamic side. If you're reminded of the sin versus the good deed, or in, in this setting, if you set your structure, towards a habit absent of the guilty pleasure, absent of the comfort of a donut or sugar. If you are reminded, biblically speaking, the, the idea is that if you are reminded of the righteousness, the path to God, and you deviate from it, 
your suffering will be multiplied. Mm. Had you, if, if then if you had sinned prior to setting up your boundaries, prior to trying to live righteously, mm. prior to ex recognizing and accepting and, and realizing the righteous path and then deviating. Mm. This is more punishable than the sin that just is from people that just don't know any better. Mm. So this reminds me of the in, the, in the Quran, in the story of Adam and Eve, the, when the devil is cast out of heaven for disobeying, when Satan is cast out of heaven for disobeying, the promise that it makes is basically that it will stand on the path and it will try to knock people off the path and it will be on the right and on the left and in front and in which chapter is that? the heights out of hmm. that it will just be on the path and it will try to knock people off the, hmm. the, the right path and that's do you have it in Arabic? I'm not saying that on camera at all that's just you can edit it out so the one I'm thinking well, of is but I, وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِنْ ذُكِّرَ بِآيَاتِ رَبِّهِ ثُمَّ أَعْرَضَ عَنْهَا إِنَّا مِنَ الْمُجْرِمِينَ مُنْدَرُ No, that's not what you're talking about. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, no, it's when it says that, what does it say, what does the devil say when he's cast out? He asks for to be reprieved. And then what? Yeah. And then you will see that they're not grateful or something like that. Like that they're not, but there is a... Yeah, and then it says that I will stand على صراط المستقيم. And I will knock them off in some way. Anyway, we can look into it. Okay. I'm going to drive them away from your straight. And I will be on there. Like, it's just... Reminder of it, but yeah. yeah. So I actually have the story. I have a short on it, so we'll link it to... It's a translation, but it's, it's good enough to make drive the point. There is, it's declaring itself as the entity that will sway you from the right path. Mm. That's a great way of looking at it. Again, these things are... Not to be taken too literally, but it's very interesting because it's, you don't want to go so much towards the metaphorical that you forget that there are actually real consequences and real uh, manifestations of those things. It right? is a description as, as metaphoric and as poetic and as biblical and as spiritual you want to get. There is a practical description of a human condition. Exactly. Of a human like, like we are talking about that processes that are governing our behaviors. We are talking about like when we relate all this to a spike of dopamine, for instance, there's a real process there that yeah we could put into a, a mythological narrative of satan and a, and a path and a way and falling off and we are metaphors everything like we can only conceptualize things in terms of metaphors everything is comparative everything is there is no yeah, I, I don't really want to get into the problem of perception again at this point but yeah there, there's just a, these things have real manifestations in our lives and if we allow for them if we allow them the benefit of the doubt and try to deep dive what they are that they really have a way of applying very deeply and very simply as well to our everyday lives and this idea of yeah you, you are going to sin that will happen we don't have to vilify this we don't have to perpetrate a lot of the guilt-ridden, like the commonly associated Punishment with Catholicism, and, and for instance, very strict. Yeah. Very, 
you are going to sin you are human that's okay it is literally part of how you are wired your evolution has made it necessary for these processes to exist and for these processes to even take over when need be but you have to what falls upon you is to build the right structures to withstand complete collapse you don't want to be a like you don't want to be on the verge of complete destruction the second you sway the second you're like yeah i'm gonna go for that donut that's okay i still have a plan that will keep me on the path and you have to keep your eyes and your entire body and your entire movement towards that path and it's so easy to sway and you sway one time it's so easy to to stay on that off course now because it's so comfortable there it's so a, easy i like the there's a karmic element to cause and effect it's you do something and there's a consequence to what you do the punishment there is no to, bad to punishment there is like no good there's a karmic there is element no punishment. to punishment there is no reward these are words that we make up to distinguish but we're distinguishing something that mm -hmm. isn't like that mm -hmm. i like the arabic term of jaza mm -hmm. the word for punishment used in punishment as an act verb or reward is the same word mm -hmm. it's just if you do this is what happens it's just this is how it is by design this is the karmic element of things it's just you get your fair share of mm -hmm whatever it is that you do good bad that's only relevant to you we define what we could do what is happening to you here is your fair share mm -hmm. now relative to you subjectively speaking mm -hmm. the, it may look something may look better from mm -hmm. than than something else and that's why you draw into this you label these things that are better because you're doing good as good and then you label these as punishment. You label this as reward and you label that as punishment. But it is what it is. It's just, it, it, it is. is a design that gives you a consequence based on what you do. Yeah. And the idea of scripture is to give you the blueprint of how, of what is good to be rewarded with good and what is bad to be rewarded with what is bad. But the reward itself is based on what karma is you just by design you get your fair share it's not an entity that is necessarily looking at everything that you do and punishing and rewarding no it's just fl it, it flows into a system that it, you it, define it, it. the simplest and most effective oh, philosophies is right here do you see the most effective philosophies simply stating giving examples of here's what those people did and here's what happened to them Here's what these people did, and here's what happened to them. It's a very, again, like consequentialist approach. It's not about, okay, let's just start with putting all these rules together. The rule always comes later. Mm. And the rule is only necessary because some things lead to victory and some things lead to loss. And you, at all costs, should avoid the loss and seek the victory. And so here are the things that these people did. And here's where they here's where they landed, and you should understand for yourself that you should follow what those people did. It's very consequential, it's very karmic in this regard, where it's I'm simply telling you just what happened to them. What are you gonna do? 
and this is what happened to those guys. They were seeking pleasure. They were breaking all their commitments. They were taking every distraction they could away from what they were supposed to do for what they knew they were supposed to do. Because even if I don't necessarily define what it is that you're supposed to do, I can't define what you're supposed to do. But there's a level at which you know. You know that I'm not, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to be scrolling on my phone. I have work to do. I have this to do. I'm not supposed to be looking at this woman who's passing. I'm married. I have, you know, you always know when you're breaking away from commitment. I don't have to tell you what it is that you should do. You have it. Your potential energy is energy in its most useful form. Mm -hmm. And if you're sitting around doing nothing, nothing, you're not producing anything meaningful, then all of this. There is no kinetic energy. It's just pure entropy. It's pure useless energy that is converted sure. back. Sure. There is no product that is worthy of anything that you produced. You just produced you nothing. You but, but there is it. You converted energy. But all the energy that you converted is just pure entropy. Poof. It's just gone in smoke. Useless. It's gone in smoke. It's useless. It's definitely... Yeah, the idea of living a productive life is, is very important here. And it's part of what it is to live a meaningful life. Like, you need to have some usefulness. And the usefulness... And for yourself, for your family, for your tribe, for your community, for your society. You, we need to feel useful. That's why it doesn't matter. Like, you could provide every need and desire that anybody could ever th not only have, but you could anticipate all the needs and desires and fulfill those as well. And you will never see a more miserable society. People need to feel useful. We need a sense of purpose. We and we're not going to dive into like why usefulness is good for well-being. Like why? It's, it's pretty why to contribute to society. We will because we'll we'll have to dive into serotonin and what it means, which we don't want to do. But I I want to bring it back and, and perhaps this is where we conclude. Sure. Just towards the paying for your sins that you mentioned and when you set up your fair shares whatever they may be in any of the pleasurable deadly sins you should have a fair share of sloth you should have a fair share of lust and of gluttony of, in, in the sense of food to, in this, whatever sustenance is objectively your fair share literally you have sex to reproduce it's un, it's unreasonable you sex for pleasure you should take on top of that your fair share even when, when it comes to food you can't you call eat, both your fair you share you should though. eat to, you should eat to live and then and, and a little bit more you shouldn't live to eat mm. and a little less you should eat to live and perhaps a, from there you, you venture out a little bit and you define your line mm. but you have to earn whatever your line is you have to earn it. you have to earn your fair share this is where whatever that fair share on top of sustenance of pure sustenance to survive it has to be hard earned and anything beyond that mm. is a tough battle talk about we talk about building your fortress ego and everything we've been saying about ego and how subtle and how manipulative satan tends to be how tricky and how tempting and how foolish you are relative to satan adam is relative to satan it's going to be a tough battle it's you're going to need many tools and many strengths to build your fortress you need to have discipline, you need to have cause, and you probably need God on your side. You need that leap of faith, I'm sorry to tell you. 
Maybe you don't, but you need to be disciplined mm -hmm. to fight this thing because this thing, especially if it's been in the driver's seat for so long, mm -hmm. is going to be very hard to fight. And paying for your sins has to be a price that is hefty. It has the heftier well, it has the price. It has to be a fair pr price. It has right? to be fair, and it has to be hefty. And maybe the price for a donut is a very active life. If you want your if you want your fair share of gluttony beyond sustenance, beyond purely eating to live, that fair share for me might be larger than yours, but it might not be more sinful than you because mm. perhaps I'm super active where I say, I'm gonna run five miles a day and I'm gonna have my donut every day. Mm. Maybe that's better than you having one donut a week and being lazy all week. It doesn't matter, but it needs to be hard. You need to pay for those sins. And you pay for your sins through Maybe sloth, maybe you deserve an hour a day on Netflix. But after you have been highly productive throughout the day, maybe when you're, if you're highly productive throughout the day, having an hour, watch, catching one episode of your favorite show every day before you unwind before bed is a fair share. And it's a worthy fair share. It's a good deal with the devil that you made. Uh, but going beyond that is a fight that you need to absolutely win. Because it's very easy to delve into complete chaos right to increase entropy from there you allowed for a fair share of entropy it's very easy to go for the second donut and the third it's very easy to go for the second episode and the third it's very easy to once the episode is done you're like oh that was so quick well so not great. only that it gives you three seconds before yeah. it starts yeah it doesn't it even give you a choice we're always yeah. scrambling to find the remote at that time because it has to be off before yeah, the next the, one the next episode starts <laughs> we're screwed we have to watch it all and keep in mind that the right thing to do is it's super unattractive in the moment where you had eaten and now you're just you've been lazy for about 45 minutes and now you have to get up shower meditate floss yeah, brush it's, your it's, teeth it's wash up meditate go chore like in a go way to bed right? early yeah it's like boring it's and it's boring but in the long run this is the best way to move forward but what you're fighting in that moment that you need to do all these this night routine that you put together you're what are you fighting right before then a cliffhanger in your favorite episode and your favorite well, the show, comfort so, too. Right? They're not having to get up. Yeah. I don't want to now you're get up. You're fighting a lot within sloth and within... And floss. You're fighting sloth to go floss. <laughs> I don't want floss, no. Yeah. But so. we round this up with restraint. The idea of restraint here, although we haven't specifically talked about it, is the central piece here. You want to train that muscle. And it's good to see it as a muscle. Yeah, like You build resistance. You're... You're building that muscle, you're exercising it, you're constantly trying to, to apply it. You're constantly, you make me lose my flow. But you're easily distracted. I'm easily distracted because we're wrapping up and it's the end. And I have to pee. Really. Me too. <laughs> me too, I'm dying. I'm going first though. Um, but yeah, it's just, again, like restraint, like the type of restraint we have to apply now as we have an urge and we're trying not to indulge in it at this very moment. But it is a muscle and it's true that it, it doesn't get easy. In a way, it's always hard to get up and to floss and to do all this thing instead of staying on your, staying on your ass, basically. It, it is always difficult. But the more you do it, 
the more habitual it becomes. It's like you rise up to the level of difficulty and you just know that I don't have a choice. A second episode is just not an option. Again, going back to the binary, but you just apply those restraints or else it's all hell breaks loose. You're gonna sin the first time and the second time and the third time and then it's gonna be one second. Like the sin would lead you to a state of complete destruction of all of your systems and that's what we mythologically call hell it's this complete chaos lack of structure lack of anything being built everything is always reduced to ashes by the by hellfire so you have this but doing thing. nothing in that moment is obviously the easiest thing to do you let that next episode light bar that's the path of least resistance. Right? The path of least resistance is the most egotistic path. It's the most you hellish need, path. It's the path of laying down your weapons and not fighting ego at all. And What? That's not least resistance. Yeah, the path of least resistance is to let ego win without oh, even a oh, fight. Oh, yeah, it's but that's... Putting your weapons... You're mixing your weapons up our down. metaphors here because letting go is just not... We use it in a very different Letting context. go the will to fight ego. Giving up. Yeah. Right? You are giving up. And giving up Giving in. Giving in. You give up and therefore you give in. Yeah. And it's, just, it's the easiest path. To give in is the most comfortable path. Mm-hmm. And when you set your structure, you start thinking about your future self, you have to take a conscious decision, a spiritual decision to... Engage you know, in that war. You need to. You have to have this. It's a spiritual moment because you gotta have this recognition of an absolute bloodbath of a war that you need to have to make it constant, to, to succeed, constant. and to get back to take back control of yourself. Mm-hmm. That has been hijacked. One more thing. Okay. It's important that to understand that when you're. Like the structure that you have to set up for yourself is a formula, a recipe that only applies to you, really. Because we all have built-in, hardwired, we're all born with, and we have all set up systems that lead us to have different gates of hell, like different propensities towards sin. My sins, my temptations are different from your temptations. We all share, broadly speaking, like there aren't a million different types of temptations. There are but there are but things that are more appealing to me than they are to you. What, what the carrot that dangles in front of me isn't the same as the carrot that dangles in front of no. you. And your structure, your formula needs, really needs to be tailored to your weaknesses, that goes back to know thyself. You need to understand what your vulnerabilities are in order to patch them up with your structure. Yeah, definitely, and we need, uh, and that's a good segue to. That's a good segue to the end. We'll bring, in, <laughs> we'll bring in serotonin. We'll bring in structure, and, and sure. how to think, how you may or may not go about thinking about how to build your structure, and where you may fail to think mm-hmm. ahead. What are your guilty pleasures? Where you may fail? Maybe for you, it's falling into the habit of having too many donuts. Or maybe for you, falling into the habit of watching too many episodes. And we'll discuss that further. And Mm. and every time you give in, what that does to your overall supply of serotonin. How you feel about yourself To defeat yourself into the comfort 
you so know, now we'll talk about the post two donut and the moment of fight or flight between you and ego taking the flight as a dip in serotonin taking the fight and winning mm. is good for you and we'll, we'll discuss further yeah. to be continued all right good talk